They told me when I stepped on this upper step that I would be live, so I'm just verifying that this morning. Um, I do count it a joy to be with you this morning, and uh, thank you, Dal, for opening up the pulpit and uh, for Cube calling me yesterday asking me if I would step in, and I'm delighted to. Um, but just to let you know that my relationship with Dal did begin over 20 years ago when... Um, when our pastor who married my wife and I was pastoring the Bible church in Little Rock, Arkansas. And he said that, um, you know, through, through an exchange of that conversation, it was Karen, Dow's wife's in-laws, attended that church there. And he said I should reach out to Dow and just uh, introduce myself, get to know him, and uh, just share our ministry with him. And um, so, Dow, I just want to say thank you for your friendship. I'm not filling your shoes. I'm stepping into your footprints up here. So thank you for allowing me to be with you this morning. I would like to ask you, what comes to mind, to your mind, I know what comes to my mind, when I mention politics, politicians. I don't want to hear no outbursts. I just want you to <laughs> mull this over in your mind. When I mention politicians, government, governmental leaders, uh, Republicans, Democrats, what comes to your mind? When I, when I tell people that this is a ministry that I'm involved with, they say, well, they sure need it down there. And, and yes, that is true. But it also, they say, well, that, that's a big mission field. And yes, that's true. But the reality is that the church needs to fulfill the other end of that obligation and pray for our leaders. Now, the scripture is explicitly clear that we need to be in prayer for our leaders. And, and we'll look at that in just a few moments this morning. But whatever came through your mind when I asked you that question this morning, what do you think? What, what about so-and-so? And I'm sure your mind spun the gamut of what you thought, who you saw. But what about if this were true? If our politicians, elected officials, were more like Daniel. Remember in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 6, he's getting ready to be promoted to be the emperor over the kingdom. And it said about this about Daniel when he was in the government affairs. He said, Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find grounds of accusation against Daniel in regards to government affairs but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Daniel 6.4. Show of hands, how many would like to see that in our politicians, in our elected officials? Absolutely, we would. And that would just delight our soul in such a way that um, we would have a little more respect for those in elective office. They need our prayers. I can't tell you how many times I've visited offices when I'm there in the state capitol. And um, I go into an office, and obviously a staff person would draw me in. He said, Jeff, look, these people say they're Christians, and they send these kind of notes into our offices. That ought not to be so. They need to know that we're there to pray for them. 
We need to have better men and better women in the political arena. I mean, when you think about Daniel, when it was said about Daniel in Daniel 6, he went to Babylon in captivity as a teenager. And, you know, I, I just said just the other weeks, I said, when I look at my kids, did I prepare them at the age of 15 to be carried off into Babylon to make them fruitful messengers for God, to make them ambassadors for God in that arena if that were to happen. And I think that that is an area that we need to be, as a family, focused on. But it's not only that, we need to have people in government who has convictions, who have convictions, who will stand on those convictions and vote for those convictions. Just like William Penn in 1682 when he formed the frame of government for Pennsylvania. He said this, he says, governments like clocks go from the motion men give them. And as governments are made and moved by them, so by them they are ruined too. Wherefore, governments rather depend upon men than men upon governments. Let men be good and the government cannot be bad. If it be ill, they will cure it. But if men be bad, let the government be ever so good. They will endeavor to warp it and spoil it to their turn. And we're seeing that in our society today. This was 1682. It could be 2020, 2022. Penn goes on to write, I know that some say, let us have good laws, and no matter for the men who execute them, but let them consider that though good laws do well, good men do better. For good laws may lack good men, and men be a, and men and be abolished and evaded by them, by men, but good men will never lack good laws nor suffer ill ones. And so the idea that Penn was trying to communicate is yes, we need good godly men and women in the political arena. And we're watching the demise of that. We're watching the demise of what he spoke of in the 1600s, is that bad men have, have risen to power now, and they're, they're saying, well, we're not going to enforce that law. We're not going to adjudicate that crime. That ought not to be so. And so... Penn concluded. A hundred years later, John Newton, and we, we know John Newton is the, is the slave trader who was converted to Christ, right? He wrote the song Amazing Grace. We sing it all the time. I love to hear the bagpipes when they pipe that. Amazing Grace. And so what John Newton was dealing with was, yes, there was a, a need for, for righteous men and righteous women in the political arena, but, but John Newton understood that Christ and the church was the supreme institution that he has established, right? We know that at least God, some say five institutions, but there, there are five, the church, the family, and then government. And it needs to be in that order. Some say marriage, and I count marriage as part of the family, and the other institution is that of commerce. 
But I want us to understand this morning that the church is the supreme institution that God has ordained and that he has established that we live in. You know, I, being in the position that I'm in, I, I'm often asked why we don't get involved in political issues. Well, as we're going to look at this morning, it's not politics that change people's lives. And there's a book out by Dr. MacArthur that says, Why Government Can't Save You. A lot of people think that, yes, government can save people. In reality, they can't. And so there is this, there's this tension. And I experienced early on in ministry when I came here, it, I met a gentleman, I'm not going to mention his name, who went to, to, went to seminary with our, the president of the seminary that I went to, and he, he asked me a question. He was a little furious at me. Why don't you get involved more on the political side? And my thought is, politics never saves no one. No one. And that's the same thing that John Newton said a hundred years later after Penn in, in the 1700s. And he, was, he had a, a, a minister friend of his who was bifurcating. He was, he was a minister called by God, but he wanted to be involved in the political agenda. And John Newton writes a letter. It's called True Patriotism in the mid-1700s. He says, dear friend, he doesn't give him a name. He says, allow me to say that it excites both my wonder and my concern that a Christian minister such as yourself just think it worthwhile to attempt political reforms. When I look upon the present state of our nation, such an attempt appears to me to be no less vain and foolish than it would be to paint the cabin while the ship is on fire or while the ship is sinking or decorate the parlor while the house is on fire. It says, when our Lord Jesus was upon earth, he refused to get involved in disputes or politics. Friend, who appointed me, Luke says, to be judge or arbitrator over you. Christ said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. God, God's children belong to a kingdom that is not of this world, and that is us. We are strangers and pilgrims on earth. Part of the scriptural, scriptural character is that they are quiet in the land. And I'm not promoting pacifist, pacifism. But we are to, to live a quiet and tranquil life. He goes on to say that Satan has many contrivances to amuse people. He has many schemes and to divert their thoughts from the real danger. He goes on to make this comment. My dear sir, talking to his pastor friend, my prayer to God is for you that he would induce in you to employ the talents he has given you in pointing out sin as the great cause and source of every existing evil and to engage those who love and fear him instead of wasting time in political speculations for which very few of them are competent. Penn knew that attempting political reform does not produce eternal value or eternal reconciliation. 
So our passage this morning, I want us to open our scripture to uh, is 2 Corinthians 5. And as you're turning there, we're going to look at verses 18 to 21. But in this passage here, or in 2 Corinthians in general, Paul is having to give a defense for his apostleship. We know as we, we read 1 Corinthians, and you, and, you pro, and you know, I'm sure you know, that there was issues in the church at Corinth that Paul had to address and to set or write because Chloe's people brought these, not allegations, but these questions to Paul, and Paul, time after time, addressed those issues. But here, the opponents of the apostle Paul are in Corinth, and they're wanting to say that he's some kind of false apostle, and Paul is having to make a defense for himself as to his apostleship. And so he addresses the greatest need among mankind in, in 2 Corinthians Five. So what I'd like to do is read verses 18 through 21. Well, I'm going to back up to verse 17. Paul says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, mankind's greatest need is not a political agenda. It's not political reform. It is about being reconciled to God. Being reconciled to God. And so as, as we involved in our ministry with our legislator, we will never go behind a committee or go before a committee to, to address one issue or the other in favor or against because in doing so, we will isolate our mission field. Our mission is not for Republicans. Our mission is not for Democrats. Our mission is mankind. And so we want to be sensitive and walk in the way that uh, would be pleasing to the Lord and to let them know that we're there with the ministry of reconciliation. We're there to serve them. And that's hard for a politician to understand. I won't mention his name, but... Um, some years ago, I um, was passing out the Bibles to our new uh, freshman legislators. And uh, at the time, uh, we passed them out on the, on the House floor, and those that were there, we presented the, the Bible to them with their name on it. And there was a few that were not there, so I went by his office, this particular legislator, and introduced myself and what our ministry uh, aim is who I was, what we were doing, and without even having a prior conversation to me before, he goes, watch your angle. He pointed his finger, watch your angle. And I had to say, I have no angle. I have, I, we just want to be here to serve you, to pray for you. Uh, we want to be ambassadors for Christ to you. But he couldn't get over that I was there wanting something from them. 
You know, when we, when we first started our ministry there, it was that. We, we, we had, I felt a little stiffed arm like a, a football player in that they would keep me at arm's length for a season. But as, as, as time went on, I, I noticed that, that that facade softened and then the Lord allowed us to um, just really to have a breakthrough in the ministry there to, to really get to know our legislators and to let them know that we were there to serve them. And so what, what we've done since then is we, we have a, a Wednesday Bible study for them. There's a, a handful of folks that, that, that come, that attend that, and that's good. And um, just to see the, the growth of them over the years has really been encouraging. Not anything that I have done, but to, to, to get them to, to look at the scriptures, to, to have an in-depth study, and to see what God would truly want from them in the ministry that they're in because yes government leaders are there because they're ordained of God and so we would just want to be uh, encouraging to them in their in their mission as they're there representing us representing the state of South Carolina um, throughout throughout the whole state but Paul in this passage here he gives us our mandate that's not only capital ambassadors mandate it is ours the church the mandate that God has given to us uh, we see in verse 18 that we've been given a ministry of reconciliation you see mankind is separated from God from birth he is destitute he is without God in second and if, uh, excuse me in Ephesians 2 Paul says this Speaking of mankind, us before we were regenerated. In Ephesians 2, he said, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit now, that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of our flesh, and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Paul tells us in Ephesians that we were children destined for wrath. But that great transformation takes place in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. Down in verse 11 of, of Ephesians 2, remember that you too were formerly the Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by the circumcision which is performed by human and performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who were formerly far off, far off were brought near. That's our ministry. Our God, our Savior, delights 
in deliverance. He delights in transformation. He delights to have his gospel communicated through his people to transform the heart of his people. So the gospel is the only thing that changes. And and John Newton wanted to express that in what I quoted to his pastor friend, to remind him that, yes, there, there are political issues out there, but that never changes anyone's eternal destiny. The gospel does that. And that's the ministry we've been given. Not only myself, the one that I'm involved in, but also the ministry of the church. Verse 19 provides us the message of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Yes, sin is the bad news. Sin is that which plagues all of humanity, and the wages of sin is is death. And the soul that sins shall surely die. We know that, right? We're all destined to die because of sin. But then again, as I just read in Ephesians 2, mankind is dead. And Paul in Romans 5 says this also. He reminds us in verse 6 of Romans chapter 5 that we were helpless and that While we were helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, even though perhaps a good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were sinners, here we are, we're helpless, ungodly, we're sinners, we're separated from from God, from Christ. And while we were in that state, Verse 10 says, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So we were helpless, we're ungodly, we're sinners, we're enemies of God, and he reconciled us through the death of his son on the cross. And that's the good news, right? We can have our sins forgiven. We can be reconciled to God. We can have his wrath abated from us for all eternity. As Paul said in in Romans 5.11, we have now received the reconciliation. The God promises that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans chapter 8. God made an uninfluenced choice to reconcile himself to you and to me. There's nothing good in ourselves that would make us presentable to God. But God says, no, I will reconcile you to me through the death of my son on the cross. And we'll look at that in verse 21. So we, as God's messenger, proclaim a message of reconciliation. In these four verses, in verses 18, 19, 20, and 21, five times he mentions the word reconcile, reconciliation. The the verbal content of that is, 
is to be reconciled to God. We're, we're, uh, we're reconciling, we're recon reconciliation. Uh, we have been reconciled to God. And Paul makes use of all the, the verbal forms of reconciliation there in, in, in those short passages. So we are his messengers. We are ambassadors. We're, we're, we, we're begging people that we come in contact with uh, to be reconciled to God, as he says at the end of verse 20. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So it says ambassadors, ambassador doesn't speak his own message. An ambassador speaks the message of, the rep, of whom he represents, right? So we have the king's message that we need to communicate. We don't speak on our own authority. We speak on the king's authority. Uh, we're not in this world's kingdom, but we're in the kingdom of heaven. So we have an ambassadorship that we need to fulfill. And it's not based on what we desire, but what God has said. But in verse 21, he provides us the means. We see the, the, the ministry we've been given in verse 18. We, be, we see the message in verse 19. We see the, 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 the messenger in verse 20. So in verse 21 is the means. The means of reconciliation is substitutionary atonement. It says he, that is God, made him Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And I would encourage you for your afternoon reading if you would just read Ephesians 1 and see how many times Paul mentions in Christ being in Christ being in him and, how, and the importance of being in Christ and having that reconciliation sin is our issue and God on the cross provided a perfect substitute. Christ said in, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 7, says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So we as believers need a perfect righteousness. We need a righteousness that's outside of ourselves, a righteousness that's alien to ourselves, a righteousness that only God can provide, and he provided it. And that is our greatest need. One theologian put it this way. Stephen Charnock, in, in, his, in, his, in his book there, he said, Christ was personally pure, yet officially culpable. He was personally holy, yet forensically guilty. Guilt without knowing the filth, as Stephen Charnock says, he felt the punishment without being touched with the pollution. He bore in his body on the cross the wrath of God that was due each of us because our sin deserves infinite wrath. But God provided a substitute in our stead. Christ on the cross being our substitute 
he became our offering. And so with that, our ministry uh, is primarily that of reconciliation. Yes, there's political issues. I'm, you know, there's not a week or a day that goes by that I don't ask one of the elected officials, well, what's going on here? You know, what's going on there? Why is that happening? And I'll get uh, all kinds of answers. But our ministry is that of reconciliation. God provided our greatest need. Will he not provide the lesser needs that we have in this life? And absolutely sure he will, and he will do that. So as, as we think about this, the new year, the new um, 2022, um, I just want us to, to be mindful, and, and I hope I can come back and just share what we as a church body needs to do uh, in regards as it, um, as it relates to our elected officials. I have a, a, a little flyer here, but primarily I have a, um, a prayer calendar that's right here. What I've done is just uh, set it up, uh, divide out our legislature uh, in such a way that we can pray for them on a regular basis, that we can uphold them so that they know that we are there uh, praying for them. And if um, maybe when I come back and speak to the missions group that, uh, that I can go more in depth on this, but I just want to know that those guys down there, those ladies also, are there by God's appointment. And it is incumbent upon us as the church, not on us as capital ambassadors, but us on the, upon the church to uphold them in prayer and to be in that arena with the gospel and let God transform their lives. And so with that, that is our ministry. Yes, it's the ministry of the church, but it's also the ministry of capital ambassadors and vice versa. We want to see men and women reconciled to God. We want to see God transform their heart and life and make them useful vessels for his kingdom. And yes, we need to present the gospel in such a way that the cross is truthful and we know that the cross for some those who are perishing, uh, you know, it, it's foolish to them. But for us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So we want to see God do that in the hearts and lives of his people in that arena.